0: Host Jackman, and I'm so honored you decided to spend the next hour or so with me and my podcast and this great guest. Excited to talk to today. Her name is Livy McKay, and she's the founder of Natural Alternatives Now, and she's also the founder of the Tri-Peace Coalition, which is seeking to reform cannabis policy in America. It's a big tent organization and a coalition looking to bring people from all across the political divide on board to come together for the goal of reforming our cannabis laws and moving legislation, uh, you know, policy, getting thought leaders together and everyone else in between. So, Livy, I want to thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, so we, you know, we first met uh, through our friend Tulsi Gabbard, and, um, you know, I was one of her top people here in New Hampshire for a year for the primary, and her coalition was incredible. She brought, brought me into contact with all kinds of amazing people from all walks of life and all backgrounds politically, and um, that's how we met, and you were... Um, asked to come up and speak for a, a panel about cannabis reform with my friend Matt Simon and obviously Tulsi and um, our favorite comedian, Jimmy Dore. So why don't you uh, talk a little bit about how um, you came to be on that panel and, and get introduced to Tulsi Gabbard, and we can uh, go from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, it, was, it was great meeting you at the, at the Indian restaurant and I had, that was my first time ever eating Indian food. So I was um, a little bit, I was like, okay, am I going to like this? And I was shockingly surprised at how much I enjoyed that food and that dinner. And so it just got off to a great start. But um,
0: <laughs> same here. How that I was, ended that up was,
1: there. <laughs> sorry to
0: interrupt, but that was my first time eating Indian too. And I glanced across at Tulsi and I said, all right, Tulsi, like I'm okay with some spice, but am I, I got an hour ride. Am I going to be okay here eating this? She's like, Eric, you'll be fine. You'll be fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, and it was it was delicious.
0: Oh, it was so tasty.
1: But um, yeah, it was so. Um, yes, how I ended up getting getting to Tulsi and kind of it was a bit of just a twist of fate. My friend Judd Weiss was throwing a fundraiser for her out in L.A. in his home around and they were discussing cannabis, and um, he had sent me an invite, a Facebook invite, and it was, he sent it to me about five days before it was out there, and I'm uh, you know on the East Coast, so it was really I, a little unfeasible for me to get out there, but I, I really was drawn to, to Tulsi's message, even though um, at first I didn't quite look too much into it because that's kind of, um, I guess you could say the clips, I didn't look that much into her and I, I, I'm a little bit ashamed to admit that now, but um, I kind of was like, oh, I don't know if I agree with her on, you know, economics. She might be a little too left for me and, and so forth, but I did think, okay, I we agree on cannabis. We agree on on this and she's willing to, one thing I really did is I respect her um, regardless if we agreed on anything. And I said, you know, she seems like the type type of person that doesn't back away from a fight. Naturally, I wanted to, to somehow get in touch with her, even though I couldn't get out to the fundraiser. And so I've spent the next um, three months basically going back and forth with the campaign, um, talking about uh, just how I could be of basically any use from a, from a standpoint. I was working at, a, at an investment manager at the time um, who had a specialty in cannabis and actually in, in wellness and cannabinoid wellness, wellness treatments. And so um, there might have been some advisory um, consulting businesses or, or what so forth. I just was trying to see how could I help. And um, that was when I made a video that just kind of explained my story and why I was a cannabis advocate and why I was starting to come out uh, of the closet, if you will, because I've been using it for 10 years uh, secretly because I've always been in a non-legal state. And so um, it wasn't until I started working for, like I said, that that very well-respected investment manager. And I was like, OK, I can actually start to be a bit more vocal about this and, and tell my story. And then when I did that, that's when the campaign called and said, hey, will you come please be on this panel? And What was supposed to be actually only just a a virtual podcast like Roundtable with just me, Jimmy and uh, Tulsi that ended up having a lot of technical difficulties. I actually wasn't supposed to be on that panel. And then I ended up after I just kind of spent the night um, talking with everyone and, and getting to know everyone, they asked me to be on the panel at the last minute. And then Tulsi and I just kind of got along so well that she texted me after that panel the next day and said, um, Hey, can you jump on a podcast with me, you know, at 9am? And I was like, of course I can. (laughs) And so um, from then on out, we've just been uh, um, going back and forth and trying to figure out the best way to, to actually affect real change in the cannabis laws. (laughs) And, and, and through that we have, um, you know, developed that friendship and, and uh, it's been really exciting and, and a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's you know that's the beautiful thing about her campaign and just about Tulsi overall is she's uh, she's very open. She's open to ideas. She's open to people from all walks of life, and she really isn't your traditional politician. I mean, that's that's what kind of drew me in initially. I was like, wow, there's this young millennial surfer Samoan Congresswoman from Hawaii who is who's running for president, and she's anti-war. She's pro-legalization. Uh, she's she's good on civil liberties. She's, you know, obviously a Democrat, but she's not hyper-partisan. She likes to work with people across the aisle. She likes to actually produce results and get things done. So I was like, wow, this, this is awesome. I want to be part of this. And I hadn't been that excited about a candidate uh, since Ron Paul in 2012. And, and Ron, yes, Ron, I,
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: And, and Ron Paul had a lot of that same synergy. You know, you had a lot of people on the anti-war left who were just – disgusted by our foreign policy and the overreaching imperialism of America and, and, you know, our national security state encroaching on people's lives. And obviously libertarians uh, are really good on drug policy. So it was really great to see that, that uh, kind of group of people spring up around her. And, um, you know, I know it's her first crack at the presidency and, you know, I definitely don't think that's the last we're going to hear from her. So, um, you know, it was great, great to connect with you there and stay in touch. And then when you reached out to me recently and told me about this, um, you know, coalition you're building, the Tri-Peace Coalition, it just, you know, it made perfect sense to get on board and try and help you out. So tell me a little bit about Tri-Peace and, and, you know, you said, obviously, you had to first covertly use cannabis. You've been using, you said, what, 10 years you've been doing it? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So what what happened in your life that put you on this trajectory and made you become such a passionate activist and outspoken, um, you know, person on this issue?
1: You know, really what it was um, was when I was in my I was about 20 years old and I was in an F5 tornado. Um, I lost my house in my car, and I had actually been having a rough go of it that month anyway. And so, about three weeks after the the actual tornado, I started having grand mal seizures, and um, I was put on all of the the normal prescription medications, and um, they they didn't help. Actually, the seizures kept increasing in severity and in frequency. Uh, so much to the point that I lost my job, you know, because I was having seizures at work. So I had to quit my job. I couldn't drive anywhere. I didn't have stable housing. And so I um, uh, basically a stranger took me and took me on her farm and because I rode horses and that was always a a therapy and a respite of mine. And so um, she took me and my I had a pony at the time and we we went and lived on the farm and she was okay with cannabis. She was completely uh, supportive of this as a, as a medication. And she was saying, uh, so I was diagnosed with PTSD after the the tornado, but I've, I've since um, recovered significantly from that. Um, But they said that it was basically stress induced PTSD induced seizures. And so she was like, yes, cannabis is going to be a good Uh, medication for you. And so, um, you know, we, I was out there for about four months and I got on a, you know, good exercise regimen, clean diet. And, uh, I stopped taking the pharmaceuticals and I went seizure free all the way until that was in 2011, all the way until 2016. Um, and that was using cannabis every day. And like I said, um, just being uh, cognizant about my health. And the seizures didn't come back <clears throat> until my health started to decline in my mid-20s, where um, I had several different conditions and factors that led to six, six different operations, um, including, you know, all the removal of almost all non-vital organs. I still have my spleen. Um, and uh, I also compound fractured my femur in that time in a car accident, like right in the dead center of all the surgeries. So I was put on copious amounts of opioids in addition to benzodiazepines and a whole laundry list of medications that are extremely addictive and extremely destructive. And I, At the time, I was actually a... I was at Morgan Stanley as a stockbroker, private banker hybrid, and I had to resign from my job. I I had to basically give up riding horses. All I could do was just sit on my horse um, and just sit there. I couldn't even walk around. Um, I was just really feeble and an invalid for for any you know for any lack of better of a description and um that's what the doctors and of course very highly dependent on opioids and all of these medications and um basically all the doctors told me this was my life this was what I was going to have to live through and then it wasn't until right, right around 2016 around the election Um, I, it was around the seizure, I guess you could say that I just enough, it had enough, my seizures had come back. It was kind of live or die mode, right? Mm -hmm. And so I started to take less and less medication. Um, I was still using cannabis, but I was having to do it again, secretly, even from my doctors, kind of, I could tell some of them I could tell, and then I had to keep it from some other ones. And so that was always really tricky. Um, and then, it wasn't until about 2017, 2018 that I was finally like, okay, I'm really going to start getting away from these medications and start taking back control of my life. And I was able to get back to, to my career and weaning myself off of these medications. And like in 2017, I was hospitalized for four weeks, was given delauded, which is an extremely powerful opioid uh, at very high doses, three milligrams every three hours IV. Um, this is akin to basically getting shot up with legal heroin every three hours, four weeks. <laughs> and uh, I got really, uh, something snapped in me. I, that was my 17th hospitalization in less than two years, and so I was like, I'm done. So I, uh, I get out of the hospital, and I get off of these And I'm going to put myself into withdrawals, which I do not advise anyone to do, but I did. I put myself into withdrawals by myself, went through this horrific experience, but I did it using cannabis um, to help kind of blunt the effects and and to also help treat underlying pain. And so then when I saw how powerful it was for me, because I was able to get off of the hardest opioids in 10 days. And so... When I saw that, I was like, okay, this this is real power here. And I think I can actually start really depending on this medication. And so fast forward a little bit, I was able to wean off of all my medications, uh, completely go, uh, except a hormone replacement and disclosure, um, but use cannabis to treat seizures, hormone uh, irregularity, and also um, chronic pain. This enabled me to go back to, um, I made it back to Wall Street. I was running my own department for, like I said, a well-respected investment manager, and I got back to riding my horses. Got back to uh, became a nationally ranked athlete, and it was all because of this plant. And so I felt like an obligation to. Share this with people because this saved my life, and if it could save mine, maybe it could save some other people. I'm not saying it's a solution for everyone, but it was a brilliant solution for me. And then eventually, I just dedicated my whole life to this, and that's what I'm doing now. Is just going all in. I, I'm. That's when I've decided I needed. You know, it was this year I decided that we were gonna. My husband and I were gonna found, uh, found these two sister organizations, and actually, you know, inform the Tri-Peace Coalition to take on this fight head on and actually try and really get some real change in here because it can save lives. It saved mine. And so and I would just want want that for other people.
0: Wow, very powerful. So that reminds me of what uh, Governor Jesse Ventura said to me when I interviewed him. And, And this was when he had Jesse Ventura's Marijuana Manifesto come out back in 2016 and we were just talking about the power of cannabis and all of its applications and how it can replace, like you said, you, you get rid of opioids, get people off serious drugs, help people who have battle alcoholism, so many things. And he said, you know, in his big Minnesota voice, he said, "Eric, cannabis gave me back my life. It gave me my life back." And you know, he, he wasn't—he wasn't exactly mm-hmm. directive. It was. He, you know, himself who was using it or a member of his family who was having health issues who used it. I kind of deduce that it's a member of his family who had serious health issues and cannabis has, has helped that person and his family. So it's um, it's powerful hearing your story and, and, you know, big kudos to you for being willing to tell it and being vulnerable and open about it. And and that's the thing. That's an evolution I think we're seeing happening with a lot of people, a lot of Americans, um, because, we are a stressed population. We have so many problems and so many societal ills. And whether you're a, um, you know, whether you're the garbage man or you're a hedge fund manager or a CEO of a big company or a stock groceries at a grocery store, lots of people turn to cannabis to help them with their lives and and their ills. So that's, that's what I think is the, beauty of this coalition. So basically you're just looking to get people together who want to have marijuana completely legalized. Like what, what are some of the goals of the tri peace coalition?
1: So we're trying to come at this from a very balanced approach and what is realistic? Yes. Our, our ultimate mission, you know, we say is freeing medical cannabis. And I just want to address very quickly that I don't make much, and I know this can be a bit controversial, but I don't much of the medical and recreational, and I think that we've got some science to back that up. And so that's why we say we're here to free medical cannabis, because cannabis, whether or not you're aware of it is giving you a therapeutic effect it is medicinal to the body you know on, where if you're going to make a direct comparison alcohol for example is recognized as a toxin where cannabis is is recognized as a as a therapeutic um with our ecs endocannabinoid system and not getting too much in the weeds there but that's where we are trying to really differentiate Um, ourselves in the conversation that we don't want this constant fight between, you know, all this is just a druggie on the street and, or it just likes to get high, um, you know, versus the medical user. Um, I believe that even if you're, you're treating yourself, you know, self-medicating for milding, you know, insomnia or chronic stress or anxiety, or, you know, some of these, I want to say more minor indications, you know, compared with things like cancer, or, or seizures um, that you're you're self-medicating with this plant. And um, really, I want to see more research and understand why this plant seemingly seems to, or I'm sorry, seems to treat so many different uh, conditions. You know, why does it treat three very different conditions with me when it took eight different pills, you know, to, to treat uh, those conditions. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I just want more research in that. So what we're trying to do at Try Peace is we look at this and first say, well, we've tried the war on cannabis. That hasn't worked. Let's try peace. And how we can approach that is with looking at this as a healthcare issue that also has um, great economic implications as well as great uh, criminal justice implications so you have kind of a, a, a three for one here where you are actually getting reform in three areas desperately needed in this country uh, with a single conduit and it's much more realistic than than most people realize and it just t- is going to take some unification in the in the cannabis movement as well as people outside the movement that are just sympathetic to saying okay if you want to use this go ahead I, i i'm okay with that you know just um we need to come together and actually let it be known that this isn't controversial that this is a medication it should be treated as such and our laws should reflect with the millions and millions of people. Have stated, and also what the science, what the modern science, is beginning to show us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it is all there, and um, there there has been a lot of research done on it. And the stigma is, in my view, pretty much all but gone around cannabis and cannabis use, and whether you want to use it recreationally or medicinal. I mean, I I tend to think it's all medicinal, you know. And and, and like you said, alcohol is a toxin and is just far more dangerous than cannabis and, and the effects of it and, and what it does to human beings and you know on my end personally we're, we're you know like you said, you were driven by your own personal experiences and how it helped you in your life um you know my dad was diagnosed with um, terminal brain cancer in um August of twenty sixteen and, you know, it's a grim prognosis. Uh, he had glioblastoma, which is what killed John McCain, uh, Ted Kennedy, and Joe Biden's son. So it's a very aggressive form of brain cancer and very, very, uh, you know, low survival rate. So we knew it was going to be a tough a tough go for him. And we obviously wanted to explore all options and how we he could help him and make him most comfortable. And one of them was uh, cannabis oil. And we procured some, knowing that uh you know being caught with it it was illegal, and that kind of stuff, so we had to kind of sneak it to him and then unfortunately, uh a nurse at the hospital found it and confiscated it, and called the police on him so um
1: oh my god,
0: yeah, just the the cruelty of that and 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 how outrageous that is that that a man who is dying of cancer you know, would have the police called on him to show up to his room. And you know, the, the, the drugs that he was on for for chemotherapy and for radiation, you know, well, those are fine, but this plant that grows naturally and is readily available, let's send in the police. You know? So on my end, just the thought of another family having to go through that and, and endure another added layer of trauma on top of what they're going through with their loved one who's dying in a bed is uh, is just, you know, I want to lend my voice to stop that from happening again. And I want people, you know, I'm more than happy to tell my story about it and, you know, make people aware of that. It's, it's, it's not something you really think about unless you're in that position.
1: I, 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 my, that's a, just a heartbreaking story, and I'm, I'm really sorry that, that you guys had to go through that, and I'm, I'm sorry for your, your father's passing. And it's, it really is, you know, when, when you're personally affected by, by the laws, by the prohibition, it can be absolutely devastating on so many levels. And, you know, like, like with your case, having, I mean, like you said, having the cops called on a cancer patient, that's, that's insanity, especially if we have studies, and I actually do know a pharmaceutical co- study, uh, sorry, a pharmaceutical company that is studying geoblastoma for, uh, with being treated by cannabis and actually getting decent results. And so this is something, if we're even being exploring this as a possible treatment, um, to have the cops called on you and treat you like a criminal, treat your father like a criminal is is outrageous and brought me to actually forming this coalition was I had originally my husband and I just founded the um, what's called Natural Alternatives Now or NAN and the NAN Institute is basically research and education and community development around natural alternatives, including cannabis, but also, you know, looking at um, just now integrating functional medicine, integrating um, different forms of medicine, and actually respecting those different traditions. um, And, you know, from Eastern traditions, or like I said, traditional medicine, functional medicine, and how do we integrate that into Western medicine? And so we were working on that, and it was around, it was around the beginning of June that I saw a vet was arrested in Alabama. He had a medical card, a legal medical card, because he was a resident from Arizona. He had PTSD, 100% disabled. And also suffered a traumatic brain injury, been blown up several times in Iraq, and had, like I said, a Purple Heart recipient, and is now serving five years in prison in Alabama for being caught in transit at a gas station. And uh, this, is, this was absolutely outrageous to me. And so, I, I, and just so upsetting and, and got me on such a visceral level because I'm from Alabama and that was my, you know, my home state. And I just, I had to do something. So I, I reached out and I got in touch with his wife, who is just wonderful. And, you know, we talked back and forth several times and, and I together, we, we decided, I was like, Hey, I'm going to form this, this coalition, the tri-peace coalition. Will you do this with me? And she said, yes. And so, um, you know, she's very concentrated on getting her husband out of jail. They're the Worsleys, Ebony and Sean Worsley. Um, And their, their case did get some national attention, but it's been a really tough road. And, you know, this is something that really needs to end like with our, when our veterans are going to jail over their medication, that, that really helps them when cancer patients are being criminals, I'm constantly looking over my shoulder wondering, oh my gosh, you know, when I'm, you know, when, what if I get caught with this medication? I mean, it's. This is this is no way to live. And I think that I do believe there's a better way. We've seen other states implement this. It's 33 states. It's legal. And, you know, it's not, not the whole country isn't bursting up in flames. It's it's time for a change. It's time it's time to move on.
0: Yeah, it totally is. And, and that is that is egregious that a, a veteran who served this country and has all those ailments from that service would would be first even arrested for it and then thrown in jail for five years. Um, we, we have to put a stop to that. We have to we have to find a better way. And, and the answers are there. We just, we need the political will and we need leaders to step up, you know, leaders like you and your organizations and everyday people who are activists and, and who, who have experience with this kind of thing and have things from their own lives they can draw on to tell the story about why we need to change policy. So what what is the strategy going forward here? I mean, how are we going to get this message and um, this need for change in front of the right people? I mean, who are the right people and how do we do it?
1: So I think what this is really gonna take is generally, if you look at the polling, this is bipartisan, everyone's agreeing. So we've got to actually work together. This is a beautiful, beautiful way for people to actually come together in a time where we are so polarized. And so what I think really needs to happen is that the Republicans, the conservatives, who we know the majority and the overwhelming majority support medical, uh, they need to step up and be much braver about um, demanding change in this arena because it is a liability. President Trump even even said last week at, in, I believe it was Wisconsin, he said that um, cannabis reform is good for the Democrats and a liability for the Republicans. And I think that that is only a reflection of the Republican, um, of our officials, not of the Republican Party. And so we need our, our Republican uh, base to step up and go, yeah, we actually do need to see some federal reform here. And I do believe that President Trump, Actually, has a very good um, opportunity to take a leadership role in this particular arena without so much fear of backlash. Like a ninety-three percent, according to the Gallup poll, of Americans support medical cannabis. And so, what at least some good first steps is you know we need some banking reform. We at least need federal decriminalization of some kind and and we need some uh, we need it rescheduled because it's currently scheduled as a schedule 1 substance according to the controlled substance act which says that it has zero medicinal value and high abuse potential and that's not rep- representative at all of what the data or you know anecdotal or empirical uh, would state so this is there are these steps that we need to take it's just about our our leaders understanding and feeling comfortable enough Um, in making those decisions and actually seeing the votes, seeing the bills. There are so many bills that have passed or that are either in the House. um, A couple of bills have even passed the House that deal with CBD or banking reform. Um, You know, there's several ways that we can go about this. And um, what this has got to be a collaborative effort. And so if we want our leaders to stand up, we need the people to stand up and say that this is something that we really want. And that's, again, where, where my um, the coalition, the Tripeace Peace Coalition is coming in and, you know, has begun our national campaign around the hashtag not a criminal and try peace and really giving people uh, a chance to come out, tell their story. If they don't feel comfortable telling their story, they tell my story with the hashtag not a criminal and let's try peace, because that's really what this is about is that we are not criminals for using our medication, and this is the time to actually try, to actually do something different. And so I think this is a really amazing time actually, because the country is hungry for some type of healing. It's hungry for some type of optimism, some type of good news. And I really believe that cannabis is, is some good news. (laughs)
0: absolutely I'm with you on that we need something to unify our country and bring us together and you know Tulsi always talked about food like when she was in Congress she had the story about how she had all the toffee made up for all the members of Congress so if we can get this thing through we could bring edibles down to DC and bring some nice edibles to all members of Congress and their staff wouldn't that be nice
1: Oh, and, uh, <laughs> I think they could all use a, uh, use a bite or two. <laughs> they,
0: could, they could use a bite or two and and you know, Tulsi has this great bill with uh, Representative Don Young, who's a Republican from Alaska. It's um the ending federal Marijuana Prohibition Act, which would take marijuana off the federal controlled substance list and give full authority to the states to regulate the substance without federal interference. And you know, when I talk to her about the bills that are in Congress, um, she's she's confident that they're going to pass the House. no problem. It's the Senate that we're really worried about where obviously Mitch McConnell has an iron fist over the Senate. So, you know, do you think maybe focusing some of our efforts at Mitch McConnell directly or people in, in uh, Kentucky, maybe we could get Rand Paul to help. I mean, what, where do you, do you see an opening there at all?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because really what, what good old Mitch needs to understand is that by not allowing um, any type of cannabis bill to come to the Senate floor, it's actually really hurting a lot of his constituents. And those are the farmers. Our farmers are trying to grow hemp because it is a fantastic industrial crop that's in its fully legal under the Farm Bill. But the Farm Bill didn't go far enough. And where we've seen a lot of stags come in is. With, when it comes to banking services, financial services offered to these farmers, they will a lot of times be dropped from their banks as soon as they are, as soon as they basically record that they are growing hemp, and that's because the banks can't recognize. They they admit that they don't know the difference between hemp and what is the illicit cannabis, or you know, the, which is they're all under the cannabis plant. Hemp is the male vert the, the male genome, or the I would say just the male version, and then cannabis that has TH, the female, and uh, always the ladies are causing the trouble, and so <laughs> that's, what, um, that's what they're getting really upset about, is they're saying, we don't know if you're growing uh, the legal female, and we don't want to know, we don't have the capability to know, so we're going to drop you. So what we need to see happen is we need to see some at least banking reform that will allow the banks to take a breather and, and not be in fear that they are going to come under federal prosecution for actually servicing these individuals because that's really what they're scared of. They're scared that if they bank these um, these hemp farmers and they happen to grow cannabis or they're growing cannabis, you know, even in legal states where cannabis is legal, they, they have a really difficult fa- time finding banking because the banks are terrified they'll lose their federal charters because they're still breaking federal law. So we've got to see something that is actually changed in, like I said, in the financial industry that will actually allow the banks to service the industry, both the cannabis and the hemp industry, so there's no more confusion, and what that would allow is so much economic boom, uh, not just with the hemp industry, but also in the cannabis industry, because right now your average guy is really um, at a at a real difficulty for finding any kind of liquidity or capital um, when it comes to starting a business or anything like that, because the only capital that's really flowing into the industry is coming from private equities and hedge funds and venture capital and so forth. And so um, it's really narrow doors in there. And so if we can actually allow the banks to start writing loans and servicing the industry, we could see an entire economic um, sector pick up from, you know, where it is now. I think around somewhere, I haven't checked in a while, around 17 billion last time I looked, up upward somewhere 13. 30 billion 50 billion you know it's an estimated thirty three 300 billion dollar industry uh, including the black market so this is something that is an economic driver and but again how we bring it back around to Mitch McConnell is that this affects his farmers he doesn't have to get on board with cannabis just yet don't worry, I will sit down and have a good, a long conversation with him if they will let me. But uh, I, I do believe that this is a good way to, um, to allow uh, the industry to move forward and actually to get Mitch on board. And, and it's a good first step.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's another, you know, angle we could come at this with with President Trump, because we know Trump is a transactional business guy. He's he, his religion is money and making money and profits and getting Americans jobs. So if, if, you know, someone could show him just the economic boom this would have for all 50 states and the kind of industries that we might not even be thinking about that would pop up, um, you know, congruently with marijuana becoming legal and and being, you know, the banks being allowed to work with them. It it just, it could do so much for our country. So, you know, we could even pitch to Trump that he could, he could start his own strand. You know, the Trump strand of weed will be the best weed you've ever smoked in your life, Libby, believe me. Okay. If you, if you smoke the Trump ganja, you, you will believe you're a billionaire after you take a couple of hits, believe me.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Only if it's wrapped in pure gold, you know that that's that's how will definitely be a signature Trump look. <laughs> the,
0: tr- the, the Trump, uh, you know, hydroponic gold. It's wrapped in gold leaves. It's incredible, and it will make you feel like a billion dollars <laughs> once you smoke it. But you know, there there is I think there is a lot of opportunity there. And you know, if if Trump does get a second term, I, I just say to him, you know, why not, man? Now is the time. You're a disruptor. You've, you've done things differently than any other president before you. I mean, this should be a layup for him.
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I really think he can come in and step in and do something that is not terribly controversial. And it, like we've said, it's, it's got the implications. The other thing that it has is we are in the middle of, a, of this pandemic, and there has been multiple studies multiple studies now that have come out from, uh, Israel, Canada. Um, I have to go and look if there's been more, but they've been the two leaders, um, saying that THC, CBD, um, all these various cannabinoids in the cannabis plant, um, could even be a potential treatment and or preventative for COVID-19. So to me, this is, it's like, okay, If we've got something that is not that expensive, you know, we're not going to have to be manufacturing some kind of vaccine. If this is actually a preventative that we can, you know, on, on a cost basis, um, get, get out to people. And there, there are ways to, you know, high CBD strains, low THC, there's ways to go around, um, the psychoactivity of the plant. And if that's a, if that's a concern, but, um, I, I do believe that the time is right um, and it's time to move forward with this. And I do think that, that Trump is the, the guy to do it because he, he does get, um, I believe, kind of the big picture and kind of gets the sea change of the moment. He reads very well. And I think if we could just show him that so, you know, like we said, 93% of Americans are behind this. That, that I think, he, like you said, it's a layup.
0: Yeah, it would be a layup, and I don't think it would be really all that politically risky for him. And, you know, he, he go, the the guy goes on his gut. He goes on instinct, and he can read markets. He can read things like this. And, you know, it's really just the people around him. It's the Senate leadership. It's Mitch McConnell. It's, you know, other Republicans who maybe want to come out and support it, but they're afraid. So... You know, that, that's what's beautiful about your background. You know, I know you describe yourself as a Southern conservative, but because you've had this life experience and you have a, a great way of telling your story and, and putting others at ease, I think once more people hear your story and realize there's millions of us who are all in the same boat and we have this incredible thing that you can unite us and bring us together and put aside any superficial differences we really have, that, uh, you know, it could be an amazing future with uh, cannabis here in our country.
1: Yes, yes. And it's, and where it's really got to start, it's got to start with, uh, with breaking the stigma once and for all. I know that with some, and that's why I felt, I know you said that you feel like the the stigma isn't really there, but I, where it does exist is where I live. And, you know, um, I'll just say it's broadly in the South and, uh, (laughs) But I can tell you that, that there is still very much a stigma around um, THC and, not, and that not being medicinal and just wanting to get high and so forth. And that's what really needs to change. And that's one to do and feel very passionately about is, is showing that someone who uses this plant every day, the whole plant, not just CBD, um, it doesn't make you stupid. It doesn't make you slow. It doesn't make you unproductive. Um, I don't think anyone could look at my background and say any of those things about me. Um, if anything, I'll, I'll tell you, my, my husband calls me jokingly, the Zootopia bunny. And he says, I'm in my Zootopia bunny mode. Um, I don't know if you've (laughs) seen that child's cartoon, but, um, it's that very kind of go getter and, and never stop and never give up, which is very anti the, reefer madness um stereotype of a pothead that's kind of just a, a sore on society. And right. so um I'm really, really wanting to to let the people that I've grown up with, the people that are still a bit skeptical, um, you know, understand and see that that this doesn't make you a dysfunctional human. Actually, it can bring you back to life.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And I will argue, I will tell anybody, look at all the Beatles' best music after the invasion in 1965 on <laughs> every Beatles every Beatles song that we've ever heard, if not one one, if not all four of those boys were high on marijuana, and uh, it produced some of the <laughs> most beautiful art and music. All the best that,
1: music.
0: Yeah, I mean the best, and and um, no, you know it, it it spurs creativity. It inspires people. It helps with anxiety. It helps with PTS, um, God, it just—it does so much for humanity. And this—this um, this is a no-brainer. So we're—we're gonna—we're gonna keep fighting really hard. And, and you know, the other side of it too is, um, you know, Gary Johnson used to say, "Well, why don't we kick the cartels in the te- teeth?" And on, uh, you know, he's for decriminalization of all drugs. That's another conversation. But at least starting with marijuana, you could cut into the profits of the cartels and diminish their power a little bit. And that could be another political argument for Trump.
1: A- Absolutely, and so it does. Card it does. I mean, really cut into the into their profits, and really undercuts their under you know their underlying business. And not only that, but I understand that a big issue with you know a lot of parents looking at teenagers, for example, getting a hold of it. If you legalize it and regulate it, it actually becomes far less um, accessible to teenagers. You know, the, the drug dealer on the street has no qualms about selling it to the 15 year old. But the the shop owner wanting to keep his license and keep his doors open is going to be much more restrictive. And we've seen that in all of the states that have these dispensaries. I mean, it's harder to get into a dispensary than getting in Fort Knox. I mean, and I, <laughs> and I appreciate that because they yeah. take it seriously.
0: Yeah, to they, you, they
1: take that concern seriously, and that's that's what that's sorry, that's what I appreciate.
0: Yeah, so to you, what what is legalizing and regulating look like when, say, in all fifty states, you can go into a shop and buy marijuana? Is it similar to the regulation of alcohol? I mean, what what do you think that looks like?
1: So, I do think that the dispensaries have been doing a good job, like the the licensing model. Um, I, the unlimited licensing that we did out in California has been an absolute mess and has created a mess out there and really high taxes. And so California has kind of showed us what not to do. Uh, I would say Colorado has been exemplary in showing us what to do. And that is, you know, reasonable tax on it and rolling it out where you, where you control the number of licenses and you allow businesses. To apply for those licenses, but in order to um, actually, you know, not someone that wants equal outcomes, but I do want to encourage equal opportunity, and so in order for we to laying the playing level the playing field for who can access these licenses. Um, We have got to let some banking in there and actually let some capital flows and liquidity get into the industry so that um, it's not just all siphoned off at the top. And um, so I believe that how this is gonna look going forward is in a bit of a bifurcated uh, way where you're gonna see cannabis is not necessarily the end product. What I think would make the most sense is you have cannabis, um, as the plant either completely or descheduled down all the way to a schedule four or removed entirely from the controlled substances act eventually and and place like a supplement or an herb and allow the dispensary model to take place. And that could really, um, cater to, like I was in, like I was mentioning earlier, your more minor issues like, like anxiety, like chronic stress, um, And then you would allow the current system that we have, the current medical system with insurances and even big pharma. Um, (laughs) I don't want to make an enemy of everyone. I actually want people to have a path to redemption. And so Big Pharma, you can come in and right your wrongs, put your millions behind cannabinoid research, and actually help us develop therapies for more serious indications, like, ge- like brain cancer. I always mispronounce geoblastoma. I uh, always gli- mispronounce it. Um, yeah,
0: glioblastoma.
1: Glioblastoma. Yes, thank you. And, um, you know, and grand mal seizures and so forth, you know, let the pharmaceutical companies actually compete with each other on who develops the best uh you know i would say treatments in that way like i said for the more severe indications and allow the dispensary model um to act almost as think of it as like your walgreens your your um cvs where you can go in and buy melatonin or tylenol or anything that's over the counter that's how we would treat just the the plant in its entirety in its um you know, like as flower or or the concentrates or how it's being rolled out so far.
0: Absolutely. Well, amazing. Well, you know, it's been a beautiful conversation. And, um, you know, I'll give you the last word and and please tell everybody where they can find you on social media and find the Peace Coalition and and, uh, everything. So we'll give you the last word here. Uh
1: Thank you so much, Eric. Now this has been uh, great fun. And I appreciate, as I, as I told Tulsi on her podcast, thank you for allowing me to evangelize. Um, I encourage everyone to uh, follow me. My most active platform is on Facebook. Um, we do have our, our Facebook group. That is the tri Feast Coalition. Um, it's a public group, so please come and join. I do also have uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm most active on my personal pages, which is Livy McKay, L-I-V-I-M-C-K-A-Y. If you would like to find out more about our, um, how you can get more involved with the, the actual coalition, please go to our website. That's the TriPeaceCoalition.org and sign up using our contact sheet. We will reach out to you. Um, I, it is kind of we are a small team. So I promise we will get back to you as soon as we can. And we would love to talk to anyone and everyone that would like to get involved. And um, the if you'd like to just uh, share your story, if you have a cannabis story, share it with the hashtag, not a criminal, try peace. And um, just let's help create this groundswell movement and actually show, like you said, Eric, that there are millions of us out there that have benefited. From cannabis, we are not criminals, and uh, let's try a different approach.
0: That's right, we can do it. The power is in our hands, and the leaders and the elected officials—we got to make sure they hear our voices and know that we're for real. It's uh, been a pleasure talking to you, folks. So that was uh, that was Libby McKay. She's the founder and executive director of Natural Alternatives Now. She's the founder of the tri Peace Coalition, which I'm happy to be part of now and. Spreading the good word. And I appreciate you listening to another episode of Jackman Radio. If you like this episode, please just subscribe to us on Spotify. We're on Podbean. Say hi to me on Instagram at Senator Jackman. And if you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash Radio. Throw us some money if you got it. Um, If not, just send us some love. Comment on this. Let us know what you think. And please check out the Tri-Peace Coalition. That's tripeacecoalition.org. And we appreciate you listening. Have a great night, everybody.